Father, thank you that we can build our lives on Christ. That you have revealed your Son to us, that you have revealed the path of life to us. May we follow. Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit now as we open up your word? I pray that we would hear from you and that we would build our lives rightly on Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are now in week three of our four-week sermon series uh, entitled Building Your Life on Christ. And as I've mentioned before, it's a four-week sermon series, and I've been hoping that you would come back for all four weeks. And really the reason that I've been saying that is because I want you to be in a place where you can build your life on Christ. And a little secret for you, that doesn't happen in a month. (laughs) Building your life on Christ is something that will take the rest of your lifetime to do. And as such, I highly encourage you to be actively involved in a a group of people, a congregation, where you are encouraged and challenged to keep growing in Christ, where he is the center, where he is glorified. So thank you for coming, and I just want to encourage you to, uh, to make sure that you keep coming to a place, whether that's Cornerstone or a different place that God directs you, to keep coming to a place where you will learn how to build your life on Christ. The last two weeks, I've introduced two different illustrations about building your life on Christ, and I want to share both of them because they both have to do with our passage today. The first one is the illustration of a cornerstone. And 2,000 years ago, if you were building a building out of stone, you might go and try to find the perfect cornerstone. You would obviously find one that would be big enough and strong enough to support your building, but also, as I've said, you would try to find one that would be the right shape because when you put that cornerstone down, the shape of that stone would in many ways determine the shape of the building. If that stone is shaped this way and it, and it goes off that way, every other stone that you build on that wall should fall in line with that cornerstone. So as we think about having Jesus Christ as our cornerstone, spiritually speaking, what it means is that he is the foundation and that everything that we do should fall in line with who Jesus Christ is. Now, some people reject Jesus as their cornerstone. They say, I don't, I don't want him. That stone will not fit the plans that I have for my building. And they just outright reject him. Other people do something much more subtle. And they say, well, I don't know that I want Jesus as the foundation of my life, but I want him in my life. So they kind of try to build their own foundation and put Jesus in somewhere else. But that's not how we build We build with him as our cornerstone and everything else about who we are falls in line with who he is. At least that's the goal. That's the first illustration. The the second illustration is of this show on TLC called What Not to Wear. It was a show that's a terrifying show for me. I hope that nobody ever signs me up to be on it. But it's a show where these two fashion experts come to a person's home and they look through their closet. And and the person walks them through their closet and says, yeah, I like to wear this, I like to wear this. And the fashion experts bring a garbage can to the closet. And they say, there are certain clothes in there that just must go. You should never, ever wear those again. And you shouldn't even donate them because other people shouldn't wear them either. You might want to be kind, but the kind thing to do is just to burn those things. And then those fashion experts, they take this person, this this fashion challenge person, they take them shopping, and they they help them to get a new wardrobe. Now, last week's passage, it said that there are certain things in our lives that we are to put to death. The Apostle Paul brought in this clothing illustration later on in the passage, but he started off by saying, put to death. So there are certain things in our closets, spiritually speaking, 
that just need to be put to death. Things that we should never, ever put on again. And then Paul alluded in last week's passage that he would be talking about some new things that we should put on. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's passage. Some of these new things that we should put on. And actually this week and next Sunday, I'll be talking about the, the same idea of, of putting on new things. What sorts of things should we be building with in our new lives in Christ? And, and the idea is that we who have come to know Christ have already been given wonderful blessings by God. And now we seek to live that out. And we need to know how to build. We need to know what kind of clothes to put on in this new life in Christ. So our passage today is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It's just three quick little verses, and we're going to take them one at a time today as we talk about what to put on. So I want to read Colossians 3, 12. And this is in your bulletins. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This verse gives three descriptions of us who have come to know the Lord. It says that we are chosen, holy, and dearly loved. Now, chosen is a word that's meant to remind us that that God chose us. Chosen is meant to be a word that reminds us of God's great love for us. It's not that we say, well, you know, I I really did a good job of searching and looking for God, and I I think I found him. You know, there's a sense in which Yes, we do need to respond to God by faith. Absolutely. In fact, I would say that the Bible talks about this in two different ways. Some theologians talk about how there's a tension there, that on the one hand that God chose us, and on the other hand we need to respond by faith. And I try as a pastor to talk about both of those things. But today's passage talks about us being chosen. And what we need to remember from that is it's it's not that we had some great merit of our own. It's not that we earned our way to God. It's that God looked at us and chose us. And it is a great privilege to be known by God, to be chosen by God. And think about how that word is used in the rest of the Bible. It's a word used to describe over the millennia how God has drawn people to himself and called them his own. It's a word that carries over into the New Testament, into the church, and it's a a popular word for the New Testament writers to talk about us who have come to know Christ. Again, it is a great privilege to be chosen by God. And I was kind of trying to steal a Spider-Man line here, but it's a little different. In Spider-Man it says, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, I will say, with great privilege comes great responsibility. The fact that for those of us who have come to know Christ, we only came to know him because we were chosen by God, it's a great privilege, and it means then that we should build our lives rightly on him. That next word, holy, is not a description of our moral perfection. It's not as if, again, God looked down at us and said, whoa, look at those people. They're really pure. They never do anything wrong. No. Holy does not mean that. It means that in the blood of Christ, because our sins have been washed away, that we are declared to be righteous and holy by God. Not by any merit of our own, but because of the perfection of Jesus Christ, and we are clothed with his righteousness. And then the phrase dearly loved is similarly, it's not because of any merit on our own. It's not because God looked at us and said, wow, you are lovely. (laughs) It's a good pickup line, by the way. (laughs) Wow, you are... It's because God is love. That's why you're loved, because he is love. And what does the Bible say? Who first loved in this relationship between God and us? 
God first loved us. We are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. So that's how this passage starts out, that as we're building our lives on Christ, remember, it's, it's really God's work to build this life. As I said last week, he's the foreman, and, and we just kind of show up for work each day and say to our foreman, what would you have me do today? Now what Paul is getting at here is that we are a new creation, chosen and loved by God. And as such, we should live new lives, and these new lives should look different. And what he goes on to say then is, clothe yourselves. Now that's the only command in our passage today. It's a command that will carry through each of the three verses. The command is to clothe yourselves with certain things. And in verse 12, he gives us five things that we are to clothe ourselves with. The five things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And and this command to clothe ourselves should remind us of what we saw last week in verses 9 and 10, that we have taken off the old and have put on the new. So there's there's those old things that we're not to do anymore, and now he tells us the new things to put on. And and I'm going to give you my big idea for the day right now. We are to put on the new in Christ. Again, clothe yourselves is kind of one of the, in Greek it's one word, and it's kind of one of the main words of this passage here. Clothe yourselves. So last week we saw, don't do those old things like sexual immorality and anger and lying. Don't do those things. Now put on the new compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Kindness, that's right. Thank you. Yeah. But we're going to start with compassion if that's okay with you. Okay? Compassion means genuine care for others. Now, literally, this, I found this funny. Sometimes, you know, you're at your computer and you laugh to yourself. The phrase in Greek literally means bowels of mercy. So, uh, husbands, try that next time you want to show compassion to your wife. Say, honey, I have bowels of mercy for you. Uh, well, that's, that's literally what it says here. Uh, well, we, we understand where it comes from, that sometimes you feel that emotion deep in your gut. And we might say, wow, I felt so bad for that person, I could just feel it in my gut. Compassion means looking at at somebody else and trying to understand how they might feel. It's easy for us, you know, to say, come on, get over it. Toughen up. Rub some dirt on it or whatever. Compassion means trying to understand how they're feeling and, and showing that genuine concern for them. Kindness means going out of your way to do nice things for others. Kindness means going the extra mile. Kindness might mean writing a note to somebody that God's putting on your heart. It might mean giving a ride to somebody who needs a ride. It might mean a thousand or a million different things. But kindness means looking for nice things that you can do for people to show them you care. Humility means thinking about others and not just yourself. You are not the center of the world and neither am I. And, and really what humility means, it's, it's even deeper than just treating others with the respect they deserve. Humility means understanding that we are not God, that there's only one God, and we worship him, we serve him. And serving God oftentimes means that we serve others, that we look to their interests and not just our own interests. And if you want a, a pattern for that, look no further than Jesus. 
I love that, that passage in Philippians 2 that talks about the humility of Jesus Christ, that even though he is God the Son, he came down to this earth to be born as a baby and to be mistreated and to be killed as a common criminal. Why? For us and for his Father's glory. He wasn't thinking about himself when he did that. In humility, he came and gave of himself. Do you give of yourself for others like that? You know, humility in the ancient world was a trait that was often looked down on. People thought that humble people were weak people. Oh, that person always goes around serving other people. They must not have enough backbone to stand up for themselves. And and it might be the same today. You know what? God calls us to that kind of servanthood, to that kind of humility, to say, I'm going to look out for your interests and not my own. Gentleness means responding calmly and warmly to people, not with harshness. And and this one is obvious because who wants to be around harsh people? Now, I asked my daughters if I could use them as an illustration for this one. I have two daughters. Lydia is three and a half and Anna is one and a half. And Lydia, my three and a half year old, I think just has long, beautiful hair. And Anna also thinks that Lydia has nice hair. You know why I know that? Because she likes to pull it. So (laughs) Anna oftentimes will come up to Lydia and just grab a handful of hair and pull. And it is amazing how firm of a grip a one and a half year old can have. You pry the fingers off sometimes. So what we try to do to Anna is to say, no, no, be gentle, gen-, and we'll start stroking Lydia's hair gently. And then sometimes Anna will let go and start stroking her hair gently. But do you know what happens when, when Lydia sees Anna trying to pull her hair? She goes away. If you are not a gentle person, people will not want to be around you. So how do you respond to people? With kindness and warmth? Or are you someone that people kind of say, you know what, that's kind of, a, kind of a stick in the mud, kind of a harsh guy. Patience means bearing with people longer than they deserve. And, and here's what I would say patience is also. Patience means being patient for as long as you can and then being patient some more. It's not patience, at least in God's economy, if you're just relying on your own strength. Patience means... When your patience is done, you ask God for more strength to be patient. And when we think of patience, we should think of God again, because God is patient with us. That's what scripture says. What does it say about his patience? Why is he patient with us? Because he wants us to come to repentance and salvation. So he looks at us and our sin, and and he he could hit the smite button on us at the very first sin. He could wipe us off the face of the earth. But he has patience with us because he loves us and wants us to come to repentance. Because God is patient with us, we should show that patience to other people as well. Okay, so we've got five things here that we are to put on. And for application here, I just want to ask a couple of questions. Do any of these come easily for you? And maybe this is something you could do at your home today with your family or or with some, some friends that you know well. Go around and say, what, which ones of these do you see in the other people in your family or in your friends? Which of these come easily for you? And the reason I ask you this is because if you see any of these five things in you, it's because God's at work in you. Praise the Lord. As you are building your house, as God is the one who is really building your house, we, can, we should see evidence of his handiwork. 
and we might see it in the way that you're kind or patient with others. Now the other question, and you might see this one coming, which of these do you struggle with? Are there any of these in here, these five, that you would look at and you say, you know what, that is just not me right now. And what should we do then? Well, we're commanded to put these on. And I would say since God commands us to do that, that that he will give us the strength to grow in this. So if you see one of these as a weakness, just talk to God about it. Confess your sin if you need to, and ask God for the strength to be more gentle or to be more humble. The command here is an active one for us. Now certainly it, it is God who gets the credit for this building. Yet as God is building, he asks us to join with him and to clothe ourselves with these five things. With all of them, really. So what do you need to do to grow in these five things? Okay, moving on to verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, as I said earlier, and I want to repeat again, clothe yourselves is the main command, and that command is going to carry through into both verse 13 and verse 14. And really, you could translate it this way. We are to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience as we bear with each other and forgive. So as we're clothing ourselves, two more things that we're to do here in verse 13, bear with each other and forgive each other. Now, to bear with somebody implies a certain amount of difficulty. You don't need to bear with people when things go according to your plan or when they do something really nice for you. Like if somebody were to give me Mountain Dew and pizza, it's like, okay, I'll bear with you. (laughs) No, bearing with people is what you do when things don't go according to your plan. When people annoy you or sin against you. We are called to bear with them. We are called to overlook offenses to be okay with being wronged sometimes. Not that we become doormats, but that we choose to let some things slide, that we choose in love to bear with people when they offend us. Now here's how I like to think of us Christians from the Bible. We are called by God to Christ. And together as we do that, we're called into a new family where we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what we are. We're a family Now, I know very well from having my own brother and from having my own kids who are siblings that siblings don't always get along. I thought about giving an illustration of how my brother and I didn't get along sometimes, but I didn't want to give you kids any more ammunition of what to do. (laughs) But we know that, that sometimes other people annoy us or offend us. What do we do? We bear with them in love. And then verse 13 also calls us to forgive each other. How much should we forgive each other? Jesus' disciples asked him that question and and he said, 77 or or 70 times 7. Here Paul gives us his answer. It says you are to forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. To forgive here is a word that means to give generously. That's the word that it uses when it talks about God giving us his son. The word also can mean to cancel a debt. It's the word that Jesus used, remember, in that parable where there were two people who owed money to a money lender and neither of them could pay him back. And it says that the money lender forgave his debt, canceled his debt. You see, forgiveness is an act of love and mercy. It is not something that we can earn. We, we can't earn it. We're like those people who borrowed money and we can't pay it back. 
There is no way that we could earn forgiveness from God. And similarly speaking then, as, as people sin against us, we don't make them pay it back to us. We don't make them make it up to us. We forgive as God forgave us. Now usually in the world, you see the world isn't used to seeing forgiveness. Usually in the world, when one person sins against another person, that person who is sinned against thinks of a way to get back at that person. They think that they can injure that other person by doing something back to them. Or maybe they just think, well, I'm just going to not forgive that person and withhold my forgiveness from them. And what happens to that relationship then? It's strained. And in the world, either the pattern is that people go back and forth and back and forth sinning against each other, or that the relationship is just severed. And neither of those are what we want. Jesus has a better picture. It's the picture of forgiveness. When we are offended, we stop that cycle of bitterness. Somebody once recently said to me that it's like when there's sin between two people, somebody eventually has to just eat the sin and just say, fine, we're done now. I forgive you. And that's what God has done for us. We have sinned against him and he sent Jesus Christ to be the payment for our sins so that it could be done with so that we could be brought into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. As others sin against us now, what do we do? We forgive so that those relationships can be restored. And you know what? Sometimes it does cost us something. It costs Jesus a whole lot to forgive us. Sometimes we just, with other people, just need to be the bigger person and forgive. If we, if we withhold forgiveness, we think that we're injuring the other person, but really, we're injuring ourselves. So let's be people who forgive. And, and again, the pattern is Jesus. In Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, and let me just stop there. We were dead in our sins. We couldn't make it up to God. When you were dead in sin, when you were, uh, and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. So for those of us who have come to know Jesus, how does God view our sin? It's gone. It's forgiven. Now, praise the Lord for that. Some Christians feel like God is continuing to punish them for their past sins. It's a common thing. For some reason, in our minds, we have a hard time understanding this concept of forgiveness. And some Christians carry their past sin with them and assume that God is ongoingly still punishing them for it. Now, let me make a distinction here. There is a difference between forgiveness and the ongoing consequence of sin. And what I would like to tell you is that we in Christ can have complete forgiveness of sin. And our relationship with God can be completely restored. Now yes, sometimes we still do have to face the ongoing consequence of our sin. And, and just a, a, an illustration for this. Um, imagine you, you mess up and you, you get in a fight with somebody and imagine this fight is so bad that you end up losing your arm in this fight. Well, you can have complete forgiveness but that doesn't mean that your arm is going to grow back. And you might have to go through the rest of your life with the scars of that. And, and sometimes in our lives, there are, there are ongoing scars from sins that we have committed in the past. But you know what? 
You know what we do have? You know what we can have in Christ? Complete restoration with God. Complete and full forgiveness with Him. We can walk rightly with Him. He's not angry at us. He's not saying, remember that thing you did back in 1982? I still have a couple more things to give you from that. That's not how God works. He forgives our sin and restores us into a right relationship with Him. So as others sin against us, we don't hold their sins over their heads. We forgive. And hopefully the idea is that we would have restored relationship with those people. Now let me say it this way. If you don't forgive others, you don't understand forgiveness at all. The amount that you have been forgiven by God, the amount that I have been forgiven by God, is far greater than any sin that has ever been committed against you or against me. When others sin against us, then we should forgive. This is how Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Why did Jesus say that? Well, he, remember after the Lord's Prayer, he added a little teaching. And I have this in your bulletin in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Jesus said, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Great, right? But, he goes on to say, If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And if you do not forgive the sins of others, the sins that they commit against you, you do not understand the depth of forgiveness that God offers you. And Jesus would say it even more harshly than I would. And I'd say it the same way he would. But what Jesus said is, you won't be forgiven if you don't forgive. Why is that? I think it's because forgiveness of sin is at the heart of God's love for us. That we were estranged from God, lost sinners without any hope on our own, of life. God loved us and forgave us. So if that's the way that God views us, who are we then to withhold that forgiveness from others? Are you a forgiving person? Or do you hold grudges? Do you think that you have a right to continue to be angry at people? To continue to live with animosity? to withhold forgiveness? Praise the Lord that God doesn't look at us that way. Praise the Lord. He, he would have every... If anybody had right to act that way, it would be Him. But He loves us and forgives. We have been forgiven much. Let's extend that forgiveness to others. You see, there's an obedience to for, forgiveness. It's not just a matter of feeling one day like, yeah, you know, I think I'm at the place now where I can forgive. Many of you know the story of Corey Ten Boom. I'm not going to get into all the details of her story, but she was somebody who was sinned against far greater than probably any of us have ever been sinned against. Here's what she said about forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Do you think that she saw these people who were sinning greatly against her and just felt in her heart like forgiving them out of the kindness of I doubt it. But she came to this point in her life where she said, you know what? I'm injuring myself as well as others by not forgiving. And it wasn't a a warm, fuzzy feeling in her heart that caused her to forgive. It was the obedience of what our Savior has called us to that she forgave. 
there is great power in, the, in forgiveness. Power to transform whole communities. Power to transform your heart. And I just thought about that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we as a church were known as people who forgave each other and loved each other? I mean, I think we do, but, oh Lord, may we do even better. Imagine how brightly our light would shine if we were a community who loved and forgave the way that God calls us to. So let's forgive as the Lord forgave us. Is there anybody you need to forgive? Dealing with any bitterness, any resentment that you've just been holding on to? Talk to God about that. Then verse 14. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now again, the command to clothe ourselves is still carried through. And the way that one theologian describes this is that love is like a coat that we're to put on over everything. Or I was thinking of it like a fleece. I got a new fleece this winter. And you know how it goes when you wake up. You go to your closet and you pick out new clothes. and You're picking out different clothes every day. But this fleece that I bought this winter, there would be long stretches where every day for weeks in a row I'd be also wearing this fleece. It was, uh, I think one theologian put it this way, you're not done dressing until you've put on love. So we are always, always to put on love. Love is the supreme virtue. It's probably listed last here because it's the most important one. In the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul reminded us that our good deeds are useless without love. So only in love will all these other seven virtues find their full power. So what is love? Uh, another one of those moments at my computer where I was laughing to myself this week, I, I typed out that, that phrase, what is love? And the next phrase that came into my mind, maybe some of you are thinking it as well, baby don't hurt me. Anybody know the, the song? The, I think it was in the 90s, what is love? Baby don't hurt me. No. Is that the definition of love, just not hurting other people? No. So what is the definition of love? I, I tried to come up with one. Here, here's my crack at it. Doing what's in the best interest of others. Or I went to dictionary.com and they had things like tenderness, affection, and warmth. But instead of defining love with a dictionary definition, I thought it would be better to look at the picture of love that we see in the Bible. And what's the greatest picture of love that we see in the Bible? It's the cross. In fact, I think that our universe was created in such a way so that we could look at the cross and understand exactly what love is. Love is Jesus Christ willingly coming for us, willingly taking on our sin and paying the penalty for them so that we could have life. In John 15:13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. See, the love of God is so huge that he spared no cost in bringing us to himself. And... and don't be fooled about this. Some people think that, you know, God was kind of mad at us, but Jesus loved us, and because of what Jesus did, God said, okay. No, it's not like that. The Father loved us so much that he sent his Son, whom he loved. The Son loved us so much that he went the full distance on the cross to die for us. God wants us to know his love and to live in it forever. So when we think of how we should love one another, what I want you to think about is how much God loves you. And let me tell you, God loves you very much. So we, we, as we look at others then, 
I think this is where we need to remember the words of Jesus. And I put this one in your bulletin as well. John 13, 34. Jesus said, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As Jesus loved us. How much is that love? Wow. Who here loves that way? Raise your hand if you love that much. That's our goal, though. Empowered by God, we are to love each other as Jesus loves us. So it's actually pretty simple. We are to love God and to love others. That's the great commandment, right? That's what Jesus said are the two most important commandments, to love God and to love others. The Apostle Paul said elsewhere that love is the fulfillment of the law. That is that if you are acting in love, you are doing what you should. That's why Paul said at the end of our passage today that love will bind everything together in perfect unity. And that phrase, perfect unity, is a, is a phrase that means maturity or completion. It means for us as individuals becoming the people that God created us to be. And it means for us as a community living out all eight of these things together. The kindness, compassion, forgiveness, all those things. So let's always put on love. You're not done dressing. You shouldn't leave your closet if you haven't put on love. So are you a loving person? How would other people answer that question about you? How do you respond to other people? How do you respond to God? See, love is a choice. It's like those clothes in our closet. I could wear, I could wear those bell bottoms or I could wear the normal jeans that people wear nowadays. Love is a choice. You don't have to respond in hatred or anger. In Christ, as we're building our lives on Him, we can choose to put on love. Okay, I want to get to the conclusion now. One way to look at our passage today, and I think this is the right way to look at this passage, is that there are eight things that we should put on. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other, forgiving each other, and putting on love. Those are eight things that we should put on. And let me say it this way. These things should be true of us because they are true of Jesus. Remember verse 10 from last week? We are being renewed in knowledge in the image of our Creator. God's plan for us is that we would become more and more like Jesus Christ. Not that we become God, but that we would think and act and look more like Jesus in what we say and do and think. So we think, what did Jesus look like? Jesus was perfectly compassionate. Jesus was perfectly loving. And because of the love that God has shown to us in Jesus Christ, we should be these things as well. In Christ, we should be different. We should look different. One theologian said that because of God's grace in our lives, we should be human advertisements of what God can do. In one sense, people should look at us and say, what is different about them? in a good way. What's, how is that person so calm in stressful times? How is that person so gentle with difficult people? We're building our lives on Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. Everything about our lives is to fall in place because of who he is. God is doing a spiritual makeover of our wardrobe. There are certain things we should never put on again and other things that we should always put on. We are to put on the new in Christ.
So what do you need to do? Has God pointed out something today that you need to grow in? Has God shown you some new clothes you need to put on? Or here's probably how it happens for each of us. All eight of these things in this passage, they're things that we should put on, and they're things that we can probably look back in our lives and say, oh yeah, there was a time when I was kind. And you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, at loving, but with all eight of these things, what I would say is that we all have room to grow. And here's what I was noticing too this week. When things go wrong, when we respond poorly to people, when we're, when we're not bearing with each other, it's probably all eight of these things that are going wrong. It's not just like, oh, I'm doing seven of them perfectly, but I forgot to be patient. No, you can't be compassionate and impatient at the same time. So all eight of these things, God wants us to grow in them. And remember, he's the master builder. God wants to transform us. And as part of that process, God asks us to clothe ourselves with these things. That's the command. Clothe yourselves. So what do you need to do to put on the right clothes? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for showing us these things. God, I am so glad that you don't just leave us on our own. So glad that you show us the path to walk in. You light the path for us. You want to walk on this path with us. And you want to transform us. God, as we do all those things, we also see here that you ask us to do things. You ask us here to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, to bear with each other and to forgive each other and to put on love. So God, would you please do that in our lives? Would you help us? Would you show us how we can clothe ourselves? And may we honor you then with the way that we interact with each other and the way that we love you. May we shine as lights for you Help us to build our lives on Christ. And thank you, God, again, that you're the master builder and that you're doing this work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.